Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Again, we ask that you come and fill each one of us now. Make us aware of you. Ask that you'd make our hearts responsive to what you want to say to us this morning. Fill us with your peace. We know that peace is that fertile place where uh, you can speak to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask that you come and fill this building and come and do what you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Churches can be strange places, and sometimes uh, we make it even worse than uh, it was in the first place. So I've got some announcements here that you may have seen taken from uh, actual church news sheets. So the first one, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. (laughs) You you know what they meant, I think, you know. Uh, The second one, the preacher for Sunday next will be found hanging on the notice board in the porch. And then the last one, at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. (laughs) No, that's not meant to be a comment on the band this morning, but uh, uh, maybe that's why we don't do a new sheet anymore. And uh, obviously Ellie checks through the weekly email very carefully, because I haven't spotted anything like that, at least not recently. Um, I think God loves variety. You know, if you look around in this beautiful spring weather we've been having, you see incredible variety in the created order. Uh, Just the different kinds of flowers you see out there, different kinds of animals, you know, amazing diversity. Uh, Just look around this room as well, you know, the the diversity of skin colour and hair colour, the languages, the nationalities. The nose shapes, the ear shapes, I hope no one's feeling self-conscious at that point, but, you know, God loves variety, doesn't he? And I think he's got a sense of humour as well. Certainly when he came to me, he did. But it shouldn't come to us as any surprise that when we look at churches, we see variety. Rather than just God doing the same thing in the same place with every people, because different people find it helpful to worship God in different ways. And so we look for unity rather than uniformity. I want to look at a story in the Bible section from where Jesus is talking about worship and we'll find that what is happening on the inside is more important, thankfully, than what's happening on the outside. Now, some of you may be familiar with the story. It's when Jesus was talking to a woman in uh, a Samaritan village and his followers had gone off to find food. Jesus was left on his own chatting to her and we're going to pick up the story in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So as I was looking at that, the first thing that struck me is that we worship from the heart and not from the building. 
The Samaritan woman was really confused about worship. Jesus was a Jew and the Jews believed that worship could only happen at the temple in Jerusalem, whereas the Samaritans, who were only half Jewish and despised by the Jews, were forbidden worship in Jerusalem and so had adopted their own place of worship in Samaria. And so who was right? This woman was genuinely seeking after God and she wanted to know, how do I get to God? How do I worship God? And Jesus got right to the point, verse 21. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The the location of worship is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether it's Mount Gerizim in Samaria, the temple in Jerusalem, or somewhere completely different. A building is just a building. The facilities are there to facilitate worship. And if they're helping worship, then they're good. If they're not helping worship, then they're not good. And so Jesus is saying to her that worship is not dependent on a beautiful building like Notre Dame or Oxford Cathedral, nor on what the clergy wear, thankfully. There are some pictures out there of me wearing robes, but uh, I'm not going to inflict those on you. Spoil your day. Uh, Nor is it about the style of the service, whether you follow a liturgy, you know, a a set of particular prayers that you do every week, or like us, non-liturgical, whether it's about old hymns or new songs. Those are simply the externals which may or may not be helpful. Worship comes from the heart. My parents are... Uh, aged 89 and 87. They've just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. They were brought up in the Church of England. They have been familiar with that style of worship all their lives. And that style of worship helps them to express their worship. It is ideal for them. It's what's familiar. They understand all of it. But for the average person, the 94% who don't go to church regularly, the old forms of service are often completely alien. The majority of people were not brought up with that style of music, that kind of language, those kinds of buildings, nor the culture that surrounds and has built up over many centuries. And so for many people, church is an alien environment. Now, things are changing. There are lots of churches that have changed. But for the average person as they come into church, What is their experience going to be? Is it going to be easy for them to find where the building is? Signs were all nicely out this morning. Do they receive a warm welcome when they come in? Uh, A few weeks ago when we were here, somebody came in and said, I've never received such a warm welcome when I've been to church. Um, So this isn't a criticism of of what we do here. This is just an observation. There's a guy called John Wimber who founded the Vineyard Movement and led it for many years. Uh, When he first came to know Jesus, he described himself as a fourth-generation pagan. He had heard about Jesus, he'd heard about the Bible, but he didn't realise they had anything to do with each other. That was how far away he was from an experience of or an understanding of God. And I'm just going to show you a little video clip Uh, of him talking about what it was like for him in 1985 going to church for the first time. If we could roll that, please. Well, one of the weirdest things happened was they invited us to church. Who was in the church? Come on, hold up. You ever been to church? 
Well, one morning, seven o'clock, now keep in mind, I didn't get home normally until about two o'clock. So at seven o'clock, my wife's pushing me and said, we're going to church, get up, we're going to church. I'm saying, hot dog, I'm going to go to church. Why didn't we have it so early in the morning? She said, well, you've got to go through this right there to your Belinda, because that's where God was, in your Belinda, <laughs> at Dickenland's church. And so we got dressed and we got in the car and it took us a long time. We couldn't find the kids' shoes. We, and we got from by then I was mad and we got in a big you know, argument. And we found out later it was a tradition. You're supposed to argue <laughs> all the way to church. But we didn't know. You know we were all in the end of the thing. And we, we argued all the way out there. And we finally get there. And it's, it's a little old building, you know. I remember I drove up the car and I thought, this place is perfect, you know? <laughs> Old And they got one of these marquees out in front, you know, with, a, with what's on for the day. And I'm looking at that and I thought, that is a little interesting. You know, I didn't know what it was talking about. The next thing I know, I said, I'm out of the car and we're walking up these steps. And I suddenly realized that I'm the only one there smoking. And I thought, hey, this is 1963. So we got with flour, look at it. <laughs> then another weird thing happened, I noticed that everybody talked real loud. Hi, how are you? Said, and you can put your child over here, I gotta put my child over there. I don't know what was going on. This is the weirdest thing I've ever been to. And I mean I've been in and out of bars for years, and nobody had ever treated it this way. And so I'm, I'm walking real close to my wife because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, I didn't know what was next. And we walked in through this building, and this guy handed us a menu. And, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and you know, it doesn't make any sense to me at all, you know? And we're walking along, and my kids, I got Chris's on one hand, and Tim's on the other hand, and Carol's got a, a shot on her arm, and we put Stephanie in the same, they said they'd give her back their arm. Right. <laughs> And we're, we're walking through there, and uh, uh, one of the kids says, Hey, Daddy, what's that? I said, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and my wife turned around and said, Don't cuss. <laughs> I said, I'm not cussing. I'll show you cussing. That's all we were good at in those days, was fighting. And so we finally get seated, and we sat right down in the front row. All the back seats were full, and then you really <laughs> And we're sitting there, and we got this, you know, we're looking at this menu, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. The next thing I know, these three guys walk in. They're really nice looking guys, they don't have seats on them. They come in and they sit down, and it sort of bounces up and comes up to a thing that looks sort of like this, and it says, Good morning! I go, that's a nice way to open the show, you know, real friendly. He said, Look, Bert. He said, I don't know, they all sound like 
said, I think they gave it a seminar. And this guy, and he's praying, yes, and then he sat down, and another guy came up and said he was going to ministry, give the ministry of the word. And so he began reading the Bible. Now, keep in mind, all these weeks we've been reading the King James Bible, we never read the whole Bible. We didn't know what it sounded like. And the guy started speaking, and I thought, oh no, he's got a speech impediment. He left. And I turned to my wife, I said, listen to that poor guy. She said, oh, I know, I know. I said, well, you know, there's no better place to hide a handicap. And I thought, this place is weird. And then they started singing these songs. You ever, you ever heard of a congregational song? Okay. We had a guy standing up behind us. It goes on like that. You can imagine there's, there's more of the same, the, the music, and then uh, what happens at the end of the meeting. And, uh, um, but unfortunately for many people, their experience of church is very similar to that kind of thing. It's an alien environment. <coughs> Worship is not meant to be about the building and all the other things. It's about what comes from our hearts. So, uh, let's have a look. What does that look like? Well, Jesus said, and this is our second heading, that worship is in spirit, uh, back in John 4.23. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I think, firstly, that means it's with our spirit. It's with the, the deepest part of our person open to God. We come to God with honesty and vulnerability, rather than putting on some kind of religious facade. Honesty means that we don't whip up uh, a happy feeling when we're feeling down, but rather, like many of the Psalms in the Bible that David wrote, we really tell God how we feel. And at the same time as expressing how we feel, we must allow God to lift us from that place and not wallow in it. Honesty means being real, and there is no need for hype when it comes to being with God. Vulnerability means being uh, what the Bible calls a living sacrifice, ready to be and to do whatever God wants. And part of that in worship is being ready to express to God in worship whatever way is appropriate at that time without being self-conscious or held back by our culture and the Bible mentions all sorts of physical expression in worship. In fact, every single word the Bible uses for worship has a physical aspect to it. So uh, it includes prostrating yourself, kneeling, raising hands, clapping, dancing, that kind of thing. The Hebrew word halal, from which we get hallelujah. Uh, the definition is to be boastful, to make a noise, to brag about, to magnify, to be clamorously foolish. That's the Bible's definition of good worship. I think there's, there's a lot of freedom in there, isn't there? And that word is used over 200 times in the Bible. In our culture, it can, uh, it can be that to show any kind of emotion publicly is foolish and uh, it will cause some people to despise us. But what's more important? What people think about us or what God thinks. Are we worshipping in the way that God desires? Do we fear people or God? And so we need freedom, don't we, to be able to express ourselves in worship. 
But even here we have to be careful because the freedom of today can become the tradition, a dead tradition. Not all traditions are dead, but it, it can become a dead tradition of tomorrow. Every time we come to God in worship, we need to have a clean slate and not assume that a particular expression has to be done. Uh, you'll notice sometimes I kneel down during the worship and that's part of my expression of worship. I don't do it every week because it doesn't fit every week. Um, I remember one church we went to regularly where <clears throat> you knew that on a particular song people would clap their hands on the first verse and they would raise their hands in the chorus and on other songs they would, you know, everyone would dance on that particular song because that's what you did and there was a sort of peer pressure to have to do those kinds of things and I, I don't think that's freedom in worship, is it? We need to be free on each song to be able to respond. And sometimes that might mean dancing or just, you know, going crazy, running around the building, expressing the freedom of worship that God gives us. And other times it may be just being really quiet, uh, kneeling before God. And just in case you wonder, I don't go around with a notebook writing down what people are doing during worship. I have no idea what you were doing. I was engaged with God this morning. I had my eyes shut most of the time, apart from when I didn't know the lyrics. I just quickly opened my eyes to see what the lyrics were and then cl closed them as quickly as possible because I wanted to engage with God. I find it really helpful to do that. But I don't, I don't go around and look at Judy and say, well, you know, she took her hands out of her pockets this morning. That's an improvement. She gets a star. Uh, but Mandy, she only raised her hands to 45 degrees instead of 90 degrees, uh, which she did last week. So she doesn't get a star. You know, we don't, we don't do that. It's not relevant what other people think. Worship is for God, isn't it? So we don't, we don't have to amp it up. We don't use hype. Uh, simply because God did something high octane the week before and therefore that's what we need to do. We just let God lead us into that if that is the appropriate thing for that week. In our natural state, we have walls up against God. It's not normal being a living sacrifice. It's not normal being vulnerable like that. And those walls can be there for various reasons. It could be, for example, stuff that's happened to in the, us in the past or just our internal thinking. We might think, God won't accept me because other people have rejected me. Or, if God gets too close, he won't like what he sees because I don't like it. And those can be just running subconsciously. Worship is the removal of those walls, the barriers and coming close to God. And when we can do that, we then start to receive his mercy, his help, his healing, his freedom, and we find he makes the difference. It's not about effort on our part. We respond to God and he responds to us. One of the walls that we regularly come up against is fear of people. What will everyone think if I raise my hands or dance or sing, even sing louder? Other barriers can be things like our intellect, our education, our position, things that are good, but if we rely on them rather than relying on God, then they don't help us to worship. We need to be secure in how much God loves us. So we respond to God with our spirit, but also we respond through the Holy Spirit, being guided by him. Now, as I said, I don't think God prefers particular styles of worship. The thing that God's most interested in is the condition of our hearts. Are we seeking him with all our heart or do we hold back? 
I don't know which form of worship you think is best, which one you prefer. Whether you prefer liturgical or non-liturgical worship, you may like particular instruments in worship, uh, you may like particular songwriters or worship leaders or whatever. You may go for a particular style, anything from classical through to heavy metal. I don't think God's worried about all those things because he created them all. And I think, I think he enjoys them all as well. Sometimes I wonder how he can with certain styles of music, but I think God does, because he created them all. On leaving an interdenominational lunch, the Catholic priest was heard to say to the Methodist minister, we're all doing the Lord's work, you in your way and I in his. And I think he was joking. <laughs> I hope he was. But the important thing is that God wants us to worship in a way that we are open to him so that his Holy Spirit can flow through us in the maximum way. And we will be most open if we are using a form of worship that we feel comfortable with, something that is culturally relevant for us. Aristotle said, music directly imitates the passions or states of the soul, gentleness, anger, courage, temperance, and their opposites and other qualities. Hence, when one listens to music that imitates a certain passion, he becomes imbued with that same passion. In other words, music is very powerful. It's a powerful medium that God has given us to just enjoy, but especially in drawing close to God. You add the power of music and the power of the Holy Spirit drawing us close to God and you have something that is really explosive in a creative way, not a destructive way. So our worship style should be culturally relevant for those of us inside the church but also and especially for those who are outside of the church who don't know Jesus yet. We are a church for the unchurched not a club for its members. And so we need to constantly be thinking, what is it like for somebody coming in on a Sunday morning to a Sunday gathering? What's it like for somebody coming in uh, to one of our communities that we're doing next weekend? What is it like when somebody approaches us at Healing on the Street? What is it like when they come along to a connection group? Worship and spirit can also include singing in tongues, which is the Holy Spirit singing through us, using a, a language that is, usual, well, it's not known to us, it's unlearned, it's something that God gives. And this can be a very special way of expressing worship when we run out of ways of expressing naturally. We run out of words, and so we sing in tongues, and uh, that can be a very special thing. So we worship in spirit. And uh, the third heading is that we worship in truth. Jesus said there, John 4.23, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? Well, this again can refer to our inward condition. We have to be real with God about how we feel. God isn't afraid of our doubts and fears. He's not intimidated by what we're thinking. We can and we need to be honest with God. Take, for example, Psalm 22, verse 1, Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And the thing to notice about these Psalms of David is that God commends David 
for the openness and the honesty with which he's expressing his worship. He never condemns him. He never rebukes him and says, oh, you're not, you, mustn't, you mustn't feel that. You can't express that in worship. So we come to God and we express the truth. You have a lousy week, you come into presence and you say, God, I've had a lousy week. I really don't feel like worshipping you. feel like you're a thousand miles away. You've moved to a different planet. And uh, so we express the truth of what we're feeling. And as we do that, something changes, doesn't it? We realise God wasn't on a different planet. It was that we had moved to a different planet emotionally. Uh, God never leaves us. But we also express the truth of who God is. We focus on the truth of who God is. Because worship is about God, it's for God, and it's directed towards him as well. And so the Holy Spirit will direct us to particular truths that he wants to emphasise, things he wants to bring out. And so as our worship leaders prepare, often we're directed to a particular theme in the songs. Because that is what God is doing that week in the worship. Uh, so for a few months ago I selected a number of songs about surrender because that's what God had been speaking to us as a church prophetically and uh, when you lead worship it's always a risk you never know quite how people are going to respond but sure enough as we worshipped it had an anointing on it that the Holy Spirit came strongly as we responded to what God was saying and by focusing on the truth, we are then lifted up. Look at this psalm, another one of David's. Psalm 42, verse 6. Now I am deeply discouraged. But, and that's where the turning point comes, I will remember you. Each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. It's focusing on God that brings the difference. We acknowledge our condition, we're real with God, we can be real with each other, but we don't wallow in it. We look to God, we worship him because of who he is, and then one of the side effects for us is that we are helped. So we remember that worship is for God and not for us. When we evaluate worship, it's not about how good we feel or, you know, did we get the same emotional high that we've had before? Worship is about, what did I bring to God? Did I bring him everything? Did I worship him with all my heart, soul, mind and strength? Or did I just check out slightly during the songs? What was I able to bring and give to God? What was my offering like today? Worship is about drawing close to God and coming into relationship with him. And in that passage in John 4, Jesus said to the woman that she was worshipping a God that she didn't know. She didn't really understand about God. And uh, as we focus on the truth of who God is, that enables us to get some understanding about who God is, but also, not just intellectually, we actually draw close to him. Worship isn't just an intellectual exercise. That would be like going into a restaurant, picking up the menu, reading the menu and saying, yeah, that looks, that looks you know, my mouth's watering, reading, you know, pulled pork, amazing. Uh, spare ribs, fantastic, pheasant casserole, and then you put the menu down and you walk out. For many people, that's what their worship experience is like. They, they read the words, they may even sing the words, but they don't actually encounter God. They don't taste how good he is. God wants us to draw close and to have the full experience. And to know the truth, because we've experienced him, 
in that worship time and not just heard about him or sung about him. So putting this little section together in practical terms, it means that we check the words of the songs, for example. Do they reflect the truth of what's in the Bible? And do they also say things that are relevant to us in worship? And sometimes you may sing a particular song and you may feel, well, that's actually not true for me today, but I'm, it's probably true for other people. Or you may feel really low and it's a praise song singing how good God is and you sing out and, and say, well, I'm going to receive this truth. I'm going to sing it out prophetically because God is good even though I don't feel it today. Do the songs address God or do they just sing about him? Worship is primarily relational. It's not singing uh, theology, singing songs with God in the far distance. Uh, we want most of our worship songs to sing to God rather than about him because that helps us to draw close to him. Occasionally I might tell somebody how much I love Mandy. And, uh, but the greatest benefit for me is when I look her in the eye and tell her directly and personally how much I love her. And it's exactly the same with God. If we want a deep and strong relationship with God, we look him in the eye we talk to him directly, we don't sing about him. The fourth and last thing is that God is seeking worshippers. Will you respond? Back in uh, John 4 verse 23, the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. One of the complaints of atheists like Stephen Fry is they can't understand why God needs people to worship him. And the truth is, God doesn't. God is complete in himself. He doesn't need us to worship him. We need to worship him. God is seeking worshippers because worship is the primary thing that draws us into relationship with him. And although worship is about God and it's for God and it's towards him, the benefit is completely ours. We don't do it because of the benefit. Maybe sometimes our motives are a little bit mixed, but uh, we get the benefit. God, God isn't interested in, he doesn't need thousands of people bowing before him. But he wants people who will draw near, be real with him, bring their doubts and fears, but also who will allow him to lift them up out of the mess that they're in. It's people who are wholehearted in their devotion to God who find that he makes the difference. And that's why worship in spirit and truth is the only way to do it. So, next time you come to worship and uh, just to give Matt a little warning, we're going to worship again in a few minutes. Where are you, Matt? You are here. Good. Good. Um, so uh, next time we worship, uh, next two weeks' time when we're back here again, or be real with God. Let go. Let go of all the stuff. Don't feel like you have to be on your best behaviour before God. He knows what you're like. You can't fool him. And, uh, and let it go deeper. 
Worship is so much more than just singing the songs. It's the depth of our being responding to God in all our brokenness and in all the wonderful things that happen as well and the reality of who we are coming face to face with the reality of who God is and then being changed in the process. So when you come to worship, do you expect to meet with God? Do you expect to have him change you? Do you expect that this morning when you leave the building that you're going to be a different person from the person you were when you came in? If you've encountered God in worship, you will be. You may not uh, necessarily notice it. We've had people who've just come in to God's presence week after week who've really been struggling with you know, suicide and all sorts of stuff and they've been changed simply by coming into God's presence and being as open as they can with him. We want to get away from any sense in which worship is just a formality, something that we do. God's looking for worshippers, for people who want to be in relationship with him. So will you respond? Will you allow your experience of God to move from your head to your heart, to allow those truths to do that little leap? Will you pour it all out before him, unconstrained by fear or cultural norms? And God's asking us to do that because he loves you and he wants a closer relationship with you than you've ever had before. There is so much more for us to experience of God and so much more in worship. So let's learn to press in together, whether it's on your own, doing your own devotional time, or whether when it's uh, when we're all together. So Matt, if you could uh, come back up. And uh, I'd encourage you, just as, as Matt uh, gets ready, just be real with God. Uh, tell him what's on your heart. Um, do a little business with him. Tell him how much you need him. And then we'll worship for a few minutes.